0: This is Do School Better, a podcast for people who want to transform education. My name is Doris Corda, and for the past several years, I've been training educators. Listen to these episodes and hear about some of the extraordinary programs they've created. We call these pioneers the fire starters. See if you can get some ideas that you can implement yourself to change your own practice. In this episode, Doris speaks with Anna Delia, she is the middle school Assistant Director and Science Teacher at Hawkins School, a k twelve independent school in Cleveland, Ohio. Hey, Anna, Hey,
1: Doris, how are you? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing well uh, um wrapping up the end of the school year here it's been It's been a lot of fun. It's been a great year, and May is busy and wonderful.
0: The race to the finish, right?
1: I love it. Yeah,
0: it's crazy. So, Anna, you're uh, t- tell everybody a little bit about what you do and what you've done. Sure.
1: So, you know, going back a little while, I uh, previously taught high school science, and then at Hawken, I've taught seventh grade science for five years, and um, I taught a semester of environmental science and a semester of physics, and worked really hard with our math teacher um, in seventh grade and our other teachers in other subject areas to do several integrated projects where at all possible. And then now in this year, I've taken on the role of assistant director of the middle school. And some of my priorities are on growing and experiential programs for students, um, trying to build some integrated curricular models where we teach several subjects together at the same time to give students a real world experience, our service learning uh, programs and initiatives and getting students out into the community and interfacing with real people in real jobs um, as much as possible. So those are
0: kind of the priorities that I work on now. How fun is that?
1: <laughs> I know it's a great
0: job. It's great. So you came <laughs> to the workshop and um, why and what'd you do with it and what happened? Sure. So I have long been a
1: fan of seeing something or hearing of something, and if I feel in my mind it sparks a little interest or, ooh, like, that sounds like something I could be interested in, or that sounds like something that I would learn a lot from, or that sounds like something new and innovative that I should probably be aware of, I love to sign up. I usually, you know, will check in with the workshop coordinators or people who've been before ask, like, is this something that, you know, you think I could benefit from? And in this case, it really was. I, I met some teachers who'd been to your workshop. I, you know, obviously knew you and Allison and Tim, and I thought, you know, why not try this new approach that I'm hearing about and, and get more information. So I was thrilled to kind of put through the requests and have the time and spend a couple of days here in Cleveland. Um, getting to know what you have been doing in the entrepreneurship program at my own school a little better. And, <laughs> yeah. and beyond that, I would say the curricular model that is the approach to your method of teaching and how would that play out across any classroom, in any school, in any student environment. Um, so that was really my hopeful takeaway and definitely what I walked away from the workshop
0: with. That's great. And talk about, I, I think um, your biomimicry program <laughs> is so exciting. Seeing mm-hmm. what you've done with it, seeing what the students are doing with it. Can you talk about it? Tell us what that's all about. Sure.
1: I would i would love to tell you a little more. Um, a few years ago, I went with a group of colleagues to see a woman named Janine Benyus, and she is the sort of mother of the biomimicry movement. And she was coming to the University of Akron. So we Put together a little professional learning group and went down to hear her talk and were very much a buzz afterward. Um, we had a little dinner that we went to and kind of chatted about our takeaways and then um, met as teacher several times and thought like, how can we bring this emerging area, truly emerging area of science, but bioengineering mostly and design, to our students and um, you know the art teacher here, Erin Thomas and I worked over a summer to build a project and we just approached it with, you know, what are other teachers doing out there? And as we found out there really aren't any middle school projects for biomimicry. Um, We really haven't been able to find a curricular model that we could even follow. So we had to start asking some questions of ourselves, things like what do we want the students to walk away with? What do we want them to gain this week, this month, and this year, and then stick with them beyond for their future work in, engineering, design, science and their future careers. So um, in doing so, we came up with a model where students identify a problem with something in their everyday life so this could be for example every time I open my cereal box the lid rips off and it can never close again and the cereal gets stale that's a problem and
0: when you're 12 yeah. years
1: old that truly may be like the problem that you identify that you really want to work on right
0: yeah what we call the the problem that's real and matters to them right exactly and it, yeah and
1: we encouraged them at this age to look for a product. So not necessarily a process. You know, I'm thinking a real problem for me is traffic. And that's more of a systems process than a product process. So uh, we encourage them to look for a product. They bring in their item, they talk with their group, they come up with an idea together. Usually they pick one that the group members decided on. And then we spend a series of days and Um, in science class, going and looking for inspiration. So we might do some internet research, but I really encourage them to get outside. So we go on some nature hikes, um, some focused walks, and we're looking in nature for places that design exists. Um, And I'm not talking about some sort of like far thought out, I guess I should say, I'm not talking about intelligent design here. I'm talking about, you know, a nature facet, a nature feature, a nature anatomy that could lend itself to a human design that we are not yet using. Um, So we might stop at a, a plant and look at the seed pod and notice how there's a lot of mechanisms going on there on that seed pod to keep that seed protected, to keep it um, safe from environmental factors to help that seed travel to a new location and imprint a new um, offspring into a new environment. And so the students are encouraged to look and then say, what physical features of this seed pod could we be using for something in human need could we be using these features for defense mechanisms for travel for attachment for protection for home insulation for jacket wear for materials that need to stick together and then the you know then that's when the ideas explode that's when they're thinking of everything you know everything in nature could be used for better design um so they go back to their problem and they are encouraged to what we call biologize the problem. Love Where it. in nature <laughs> is nature overcoming this exact problem yeah. in a way that the organisms would die? Their species would die off if they could not overcome it. Um, so that's the sort of science approach and research. And then they dive deep into that organism and they look up all about its, you know, its natural history, its anatomy, its lifestyle, its habitat, its culture. And in art class, they are learning at the same time about design in general, everything from architecture, industrial design, fashion design, engineering design. Um, They're coming up with a sculpture that symbolizes their new idea. So rather than prototyping, which there is a little bit of prototyping in this process, but we found those aren't really the most effective art pieces. Um, They come up with a symbolic sculpture that shows their Idea. So, um, one of my favorite projects we did with this was a group that determined um, that infant car seats are, you know, an issue. They don't easily snap into cars. It doesn't seem like cars in general are keeping children safe just on their own. It's a real onerous process. They're very heavy. Is this even the best design to keep the baby safe? Um, And then when we asked them, you know, where in nature does an organ have to carry its? fully formed offspring through a lot of motion and keep it safe. They, you know, instantly went to kangaroos. Mm. (laughs) What's going on there? We've got kangaroo mothers that are traveling, you know, 35 miles per hour, high impact jumping up to 12 feet at a time landing and the baby stays totally safe. And it's never harmed. The species would die if the child was harmed, if the offspring was harmed. Um, and they learned all about the kangaroo anatomy. There's some amazing features that are going on there in that um, marsupial pocket. That's and fantastic. how it keeps the baby safe. And then their new engineered design was a car seat inspired by the leg anatomy and the pouch anatomy of a kangaroo that they believed would. Keep that baby in a motion rocking uh, feel within a car contained and safe at high speeds. Um, of course, you know, we can't create that item here in a middle school, but that's their idea. And they to see it through and they have a, a process in place to think through an alternative design to a problem that we feel is truly innovative in the next step of um, design work, you know, when they're when this age group is in college and graduate school, we hope that they are able to be truly designing those kinds of products to meet human needs um, over just going with traditional models and tweaking the paint color, for example.
0: Yeah. So here you have some some, I'll call it content or uh, objectives. You want students to learn science, and you want students to learn um, some various aspects and skills within art, um, Mm -hmm. design. And, and so each student is working on a problem that they've identified matters to them to solve.
1: Exactly. And they're
0: creating a solution. So it's exactly whether it's an entrepreneurship class or a biomimicry or whatever, they're creating in, in teams, a solution and they have to learn a ton about the science and the design Mm -hmm. um, and and the biology in order Mm -hmm. to be able to be generative and innovative and creative. Exactly. And this,
1: this project lends itself to an easy individualization of science learning because one group or one student might be really interested in anatomy of an organism that enables it to live its life in a way that will be successful for its offspring another group might be really interested in the chemistry of leaf color of different plants sure. and they're doing a deep dive in chemistry so we have the ability in middle school to spread out those subjects in such a way that we're not calling it we're just calling it science yes and as your group needs it they can go and access some of those more finer pieces and then of course they all present to each other so everyone gets exposure um, but myself as a group might really get into an area that I'm personally finding very interesting within science.
0: Well, and, and of course, we humans created this construct called academic disciplines. The world doesn't work like that, uh, right? The world is inherently interdisciplinary. So Exactly. But coming out of this work, you've got kids who are on fire about science, And and I've seen them, they don't, the day that you have them present, uh, and they're so proud when you do the showcase and they present um, Mm -hmm. what they've done. uh, I'd like to hear your answer to this, but I would bet a lot of money that those kids, many of them continue to work on their projects in some way after that.
1: This project, uh, first I should say, one of my favorite sort of secret weapons in the teaching toolbox is your parents are coming and it needs to be done. Yeah. Just, I love to use that phrase of, you know, an authentic audience is arriving at 2 p.m. on Tuesday Yeah, and they are going to be here to hear what you did. At that point, I may not even be in the picture. I could be you know, running copies in the copy room, which obviously I wouldn't do, but that's the message to them is you're not creating this for Mrs. Delia and Mrs. Thomas to review. You are creating this for another audience who will come in on a performance day and see all that you have learned. And we'd like for you to be able to talk about it. And we'd like for you to be able to show them what this is all about. Um, and one of my, You know, I think most empowering things in doing that is to give the child a sense that um, my teacher is my teammate in this and my teacher is not some other entity that's assessing me. You know, I'm there with them putting the tape on the table and setting their poster up and making sure that the sculpture is aligned just so and giving them a place to stand and say, like, this is really going to make your presentation sing to these people that are coming. Like, let's make this amazing for them together. Um, And I'm not, you know, writing on a piece of paper my analysis of how they did. They're getting that feedback in person from the visitor that is there looking at them. And some of these people in this particular project are PhD fellows in biomimicry at the University of Akron, or they yep. are the coordinator of Great Lakes Biomimicry, um, who sends a monthly newsletter out to all these organizations across Northeast Ohio about work that is going on, including their project. I mean, these are real,
0: real people. They're not actors. just parents and they're not just teachers. Yeah.
1: Right. And they're not they are not writing something on a piece of paper that then goes into another location and they get back a week later from a teacher. Yeah. They're watching a human react to what they're saying. And at the middle school level, particularly, you can, you know, you really can't put a, a value on presenting a child with opportunities to get in-moment feedback on who they are becoming as a learner and who they are becoming as a person. And so to have an expert they've never met show up and also have their parents show up, which, you know, of course is very scary sometimes or sometimes very, depending on the child, Um, to have the people show up and look at them and listen to them, keep their eyes open and stare and wonder at the work that they've created, I think does set a little fire inside of them. Like, I had a vision and I had a an idea of how something could be solved, and there are people here to listen to me, um, and my ideas, yeah. and my solutions. Yeah, and, and I find that very powerful. So they are incredibly proud on that day. You can see it on their faces. You can feel the energy in the entire building as they share what they've done. And for me, as a teacher, I feel a sense of pride in the empowerment I've given to students more than. You know, you learned 100% of the content and I'm very proud yeah. of you. That's just that phrase. Yeah. Like, literally, I just got the stood up on the back of my neck just even saying that. <laughs> I feel so uncomfortable.
0: Well, <laughs> and it's, it's so it's so brilliant, um, the project you've created in terms of the learning that happens on so many levels. So, first of all, it's a big challenge. It's real they're problems that the students care about that are not yet solved. And they are discovering the magic of nature by using it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, exactly. but it's it's perfect.
1: And, you know, we talk in, in environmental science, we talk about kind of having that nature eye. Like if you're a data collector in environmental science, you spend a lot of time looking around outside for the fine details. Details. And that's not something that anyone is born with. It's developed over time. And if you're going to spend a career doing any kind of work in the environment, you know, you need to spend time in the environment. Right. Just right. Like if you want to do anything. Right. <laughs> and um, and and I'm not trying to shape everybody into a future environmentalist, but I would hope that every student who goes through this project or my classroom or our science program um. Mm-hmm is a better designer and is better at looking at solutions to problems that are more real world and is more empowered to be a public speaker and a presenter around what they've learned and their ideas. And the avenue we've chosen to do that is through building in these other things like walking outside and looking in the real world, both in nature and in you know the human experts that they might meet along the way. So let me share one other new project I've been working on this year coming out of the workshop that I went to last summer to kind of reboost you know, my educational philosophy and think that a little more. Um, I wanted to share with you how I enact a project at school this year. And when I went to the workshop, I knew I had a new group of eighth graders that had an extra study hall. And my big task was we need to find something for these students to do that grows them into better leaders. So that was sort of my reason for, or my rationale for going and kind of building curriculum in a new way. What I walked away with was this one, this model that I need to consistently give them real problems from real people in real time and they have to present back a solution after a set amount of time when
0: they've done some real research on the topic. Which is actually similar to the same thing with biomimicry, really. Right, right, right.
1: And I was kind of doing it before, and this sort of clarified for me, you know, what that looks like. And getting so many examples at your workshop of how you've done this with your students in, in entrepreneurship made me see and gave me some confidence in pulling it off with a group of 38th graders right yeah you needed the methods right that's right people, exactly. Yeah, exactly exactly so one tool um, you can't really teach leadership you know as I learned you yes. can't just sit down yeah. and read about leaders you've really got to do things that empower students to be leaders or show them along the way techniques that might be needed to uh, to be a leader in the community so the first Problem that we gave them at our school was, you know, we don't have any connection between grades, and we are a K through eight campus. Actually, we have three year olds here, and we and we don't have that much connection. Once you get to eighth grade, you're just doing eighth grade things. Um, They met with school administrators and heard very clearly that this was something that we needed to work on as a community. And then we encourage them to go out and do research with our younger grades, with the students and the teachers and find out what are the needs? What are the places that have been missing eighth grade engagement all these years or or in recent history? Um, One tool we gave them actually was the business model canvas, although I slightly revised it to be called the community model canvas, and we looked at communities in general, what what are the values this community is adding? Um, what are the costs associated with being a member of you know, this particular grade level or student population? What are the needs? Um, what are the resources that are out there? Who are the key partners? So I had the students pick an area of the school and dive deep into learning about that as a small community, therefore understanding what it might take to be what we call a steward of that community. So in research, they might have spent some time in a lower school classroom looking at times of the day that were uh, challenging for a teacher to give the so necessary individualized one-to-one support that a young child really needs. And they looked at that in sort of a model format. Who are the partners? What are the needs? Who are the resources? What are the resources? And that sort of thing. And then after about six weeks of their own independent research, they had to come back and present back to that initial group and give real solutions. Everything from, you know, we need more people on the ground during pack-up time. When two teachers have to do it, it takes 15 minutes and 35 seconds. When five people are in the room helping, it cut the time way down to four minutes. And these are the things that the students said they would want to do with the extra 11 minutes of time they could have each day, or these are the things that teachers could achieve with an extra 11 minutes of time. That's an extra book that gets read. That's an extra nature walk. That's an extra free playtime space. Um, and so they gave this convincing kind of database evidence for their new idea that eighth graders should have 15 minutes at the end of every day to go and help this particular kindergarten room pack their backpacks. And that's just one example. Um, and so through that, they enacted a peer stewardship program where we now have 30 students that one to three times a week go to a classroom in the lower school. And they don't just assist a teacher. They're truly on the ground doing partnership work with a younger student and obviously creating more of a connection. Um, A beautiful outcome of this that I particularly loved was that one of our eighth grade students asked if he could invite his peer classroom to his final eighth grade chapel talk, the speech he was going to give to the community, and he set all that up. I didn't do it for him, went down, he talked to the teacher, he got them to come, and the whole class came and applauded him on that very special day, and I thought that was just sort of a lovely recursive benefit of building more student ownership over needs in the community, you know,
0: that really showed a deepening
1: connection. So that was their first project.
0: That's phenomenal. So, so, let me say this back to you in these ways, and you sure. tell me if this is right. So, the primary learning objective you had was actually character, right? It's it's leadership. I'm going to yes. define as more character than it is skill, right? Exactly. Yes. And yet, you used these methods and structures to um, create a. They, they were given a problem to work on, and you created structured analytical problem solving to make the learning happen yes and the results were that in addition to experiencing leadership right uh they also had to do all sorts of quantitative analysis and research and communications exactly
1: they had to poll students they had to find a way to take all those comments and data and put some numbers behind it. They had to come up with a convincing statistic. They had to give a beautiful PowerPoint presentation that couldn't be muddled up with words or text or mumbo jumbo. It needed to be clear and quick and to the point. Um, It needed to be convincing. And then by doing so, it placed them in a situation now, weekly, they are building those character traits they're building those leadership skills and they are becoming more of a leader in the community as well as a recognizable face but also in terms of model behavior you know they've heard from the the horse's mouth what's needed and they have to do
0: it and they have complete agency in what they're doing because yeah. it's they're again creating their own solutions instead of uh you know listening reading a book and talking to you about what what the book's uh Say to them so exactly. Anna that's that's phenomenal so Anna you've been teaching science for many years um, and and Aaron has been teaching art for many years yes I, mm-hmm. I taught math for many years I want to hear what what your thoughts are about the trade-off people often bring up between uh, the engagement and excitement students mm-hmm. have in doing a project like this versus academic rigor and depth sure. okay and um, obviously I'm very opinionated about this <laughs> you know I am yeah too. <laughs> um, and you've heard me talk to many the conversation I have with a lot of subject matter teachers I had and yet and again yesterday I have it all the time you we say well that's all that's great I mean that's cool that that you guys can do that at Hawken. It's a private school. Oh, that's really cool that you can do it in an entrepreneurship course. But of course I'm teaching, uh, you know, I have, I'm evaluating how well my kids do on their tests and I'm teaching, you know, eighth grade math and talk about, talk about that.
1: Okay. Well,
0: all of this started for me truly, um, just prior to launching full-time
1: in the classroom, I did go to graduate school for education. And, and you're reading all the time, and you're reading books and research papers and such. And I remember coming across this story about a one-room schoolhouse in Montana that um, was hosting children kindergarten through 12th grade, still in the 90s. And it was te- there was one teacher teaching all the students at once, right? And what we think of is like a very archaic version of American education. And in this particular profile of the school, the students, their one task was to fix a tractor until it worked again. They had to get this Ugh, tractor working, awesome. yeah. right? We're so excited. That's to get awesome. that, right? But at the time I was very, you know, daunted by thinking about that. I was, I was thinking, there is a teacher out there that is getting first graders to fix a tractor? What am I doing? Like, how am I ever (laughs) going to be able to pull this off? You know, what does education even mean? And I will never forget that feeling because it really drove me to think, you know, in all aspects of learning, where's the real task? Where is this going? You know, if the students are learning the parts of a cell, and I've certainly taught cell biology before as a subject in science that Hey, here's this information. We should all know it as humans but but where is this going? are we Are we just having a vocabulary lesson, or are the students needing to know the terms associated with different physiology and anatomy of cells in order to more truly understand human nutrition in order to more truly understand? Biological disease. Um, in order to understand mutations and their effect on a human population, or an animal population, or an insect population, or a virus, you know. And so, for me as a teacher, I I think back on that story I read, and I think, where's the real task that's going to come out of all of this content? And if I can't identify that, that's not deep to me, and it's not rich learning. Then it's just a you know a basics quiz. Um, and we're fortunate at this time that we have the internet. We have the entire knowledge of the whole human race available for any student that knows how to open an internet browser and type. So my role as a teacher, you know, giving them a list of terminology and having them shoot back to me what those are, isn't meaningful to either of us. I can look that up, and they can look that up, and I and I really do truly believe this. I I know there are traditionalists out there that believe in kind of this content acquisition on the human brain. But if it's not going to further a task that's really going to have an act in the world, um, I don't think that
0: the learning is going to be meaningful for the students. And I also don't think it's going to stick. Right. I was just going to say, we have research that it doesn't stick. We have a lot of research. If it right. isn't meaningful to the individual student, it doesn't stick. And so you know, one of the things, if somebody's listening to this who teaches science right now somewhere, so one of the things I think about having taught kids for many, many, many years is if I give up for a little bit, if I give up uh, yes. a little bit of specific content real estate um, in order to engage the interest and imagination of each individual kid and they come out of a project like yours really excited about science and nature and the world and also having experienced what they're able to learn, how exactly. deep they're able to go. Even even if during the project, each individual kid learned something different in a very specific thing, they went deeper, they got more engaged and, and coming out of something like that, If they have to then perform on some test, they're going to be better able to actually, I mean, I really, I've seen this. They're better able to perform on those tests coming out of that because they actually care about it.
1: You're exactly right. That's certainly been, you know, my experience as well, having taught at the middle school level and having taught at the upper school, high school, AP level, that you still get an outcome that shows that the students do obtain content knowledge where necessary, but the skills are what the things that are going to stay with them much further. And I remember talking with our director at the time of bringing this project forward. I'd worked on it over the summer, as I mentioned, with our with our art teacher. And, and our director said, you know, what is this really thing? You know, what's kind of going off the table in order to put in a three biomimicry to five unit. week biomimicry sculpture project in science. And, and I came back to that saying, you know, look, we want them to walk away understanding experimentation. We want yep. them to walk away understanding how to read and interpret and write a good research paper. We want them to walk away with an understanding of nature, both anatomy, physiology, amazing features that are out there, yep. unique features. Um, I said, I, I can teach them that. I get, we can do a little research project where they all research um, you know, an endangered species and they make a stir and they've all, you know, they've all had a research skill and they've all looked deeply at one organism, but this is going to be a whole new level. This is going to give us a whole new gear. And, and there was no, you know, no stopping that once it got started because we could see how much it meant to. Our students after the first year piloting it, that now it's like okay, we got to do
0: more stuff like this. We have to find more projects. So exactly. So Anna, you're it's it's a uh, next year, and you're teaching an AP Biology okay. class in the high school. You have a terrific amount of pressure with a prescribed curriculum that is uh, still, with all the changes, very content focused, and um, there's a deadline and there's a test. And there's a pretty rigid curriculum. Would it be, would would you consider doing your biomimicry project for three weeks at the beginning of that year with those students knowing that you're giving up three weeks of content and you're going to, the students will have to make that learning up afterwards? Would you still consider doing something like this? Wow, that's a great question.
1: You know, and I think... Our seasoned teachers will know that building in a skills-based project that gets your students to latch on to scientific thinking and scientific ways of writing and finding a specific story in science that can stay with you is going to be far more beneficial on that final exam that comes in May than just content drilling over and over and over again. One, there's the engagement piece. But two, there is a real reality to those tests that is around skills of writing in the free response section. Right. Right. If, if I were a newer teacher, and I was a younger teacher when I was teaching an AP science course at a high school level, and I was feeling the pressure, um, I might I might not feel it intuitively that I could still pull it off, but I know you can. <laughs> you, you, you're building in a powerhouse of engagement with your students that will translate to them their written skills coming out of that. And and as someone who, who used to grade AP free response questions, you know when you are reading an essay a student wrote in some far off place that came back to you for that grading that was in the hands of a student who was led by a teacher who taught them how to think beyond just words and beyond just the facts. They, they have this minutia of knowledge that came into play with some hyper specific examples guided by their teacher of course but came out in their written section of that exam which which accounts for a lot of their
0: grade um, as well wow, that's a that's a that's a great example and i think i think even uh, you're getting you're getting a lot of extra stuff i, <laughs> I think, the easy answer is yes <laughs> yeah i mean in my experience and um, over and over and over again Kids coming out of these programs and these units improve in a dramatic way their performance in traditional classes because they're engaged. And so, uh, you know, my line: it's not about what you teach; it's about what they learn. Right. If if you know the students in your biomimicry unit, they come out um, as middle schoolers. They come out of your program. Excited about science and their ability to be excited by science. How cool is that?
1: It's so cool, and they see it at home. You know, their parents bring that up as well. We we pull their families at the final presentations. You know, did you know about biomimicry before coming today? And I actually had a parent write in one time. I did not know about biomimicry until my seventh grader came home and told me about it. And for me, it's like, oh yes, we are innovating. Building this new group of students into um, a brand new kind of engineer that's really going to be able to design for a way the world needs.
0: Well, Anna, you inspire the heck out of me, and uh, I, <laughs> okay. I, I, I hope you're ready because I'm betting that you're going to have people reaching out to you to who are science teachers out there and art teachers out there, asking if you'll share what you do with them. And uh, sure.
1: I would love to be helpful and a resource and, and willing to share and chat with anybody That's about wonderful. their next steps in their own educational journey. Well, thank,
0: thank you for sharing with everybody in this conversation. And uh, sure. I'm just a yeah, huge fan and wildly excited about what you're doing.
1: Thank you, Doris. I really appreciate it. Have a great rest of your day. You too.
0: If you like the podcast, please consider leaving a review on iTunes. For more information about our training, Go to wildfire-education.org.